Welcome to the show today, uh, featuring Adam Hartung and Manny Turan. Thank you for being here. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you on this beautiful June day? Doing very good. Um, I wanted to just jump right in and uh, make this a jam-packed uh, podcast concerning what is concerning all of us, which is the COVID pandemic. And there's obviously lots of things going on. Last week, we talked about the... Uh, George Floyd, uh, Black Lives Matter. And today, the other big thing that's happening, that's been happening for the past couple of months is the pandemic. Uh, there's lots of things online, there's newspapers, there's you know all the online uh, channels and uh, uh, the news, you turn it on and it's all about the pandemic. So I want to, to ask you and get your thoughts on the, the pandemic, this idea of, the, of when are things getting back to normal, you see, you hear a lot of that, and I want to kind of bring that up to the attention of our, our listeners and viewers on, uh, on your thoughts on where we are with the pandemic and where we're going with it as a business community. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I remember in the early 80s when I finished business school, and I went to work for the Boston Consulting Group, and uh, I quickly developed some expertise around doing analysis of consumer goods and retail. And this was a fledgling part of the firm at the time. They didn't have a lot of clients and we hadn't done a lot of work. So as I developed this analytical model, uh, it became fairly uh, popular. People wanted to use it. So uh, one day a, a senior partner called me into his office and he said, Adam, uh, we've got a need for you to do some of this analysis in France. And uh, I had never been outside North America before. And I thought, well, that sounds great. And so I agreed to it. And I said, when, when do I go? And he says, well, you're going to fly to Paris in a week. And the project is probably going to take you about four to six months. And I said, okay, great. So I'm trying to allow the office run over to the bookstore and get a little phrase book, right? The interesting thing was that I get on a plane in Chicago. Eight hours later, I get off the plane. I'm in Paris. And it was a whole different world. Right. You know, this is, of course, before cable television, before CNN, before we had global uh, entertainment. And so, you know, immediately I walk out and everything is totally different in this world that I'm in. And the thing I learned very, very fast was that I was the one who was going to adapt. <laughs> These French people were not going to adapt to my way of doing business. I had to bring what I knew and adapt it to their way of doing business. And it was very stark and it had to happen quick. Right, because they could reject me very, very quickly. The clients, the fellow co-workers at the Boston Consulting Group, they could have said, you know, who's this guy that came in from America? We don't need this guy to get him out of here. So I had to quickly learn some phrases. I had to quickly start to understand how they did business, you know, get used to taking a two-hour lunch and all the different things that were part of, of, that, of that world that I was in. What we don't see happening today are people treating the pandemic that way. They're treating the pandemic like they're still on the plane flying around the world waiting for it to land back in Chicago again into the world in which they left where nothing had ever changed. And that's really unfortunate because the world has changed. I mean, we're, you, know, you, you got on a plane four months ago and now that plane is landing and it's landing in a new world with new paradigms, with new uh, issues that are important and we all have to adapt. And the people that keep trying to say, well, I want to go back to business as usual, are simply trying to cling on to something that's not there. Because we're never going to go back. The world always evolves forward. It never goes backward. You never get the chance to return to where you were. You have to make the best of where you are and where you're going to go. And it's a kind of unfortunate. Now, I think 
a big part of this is the leadership that we have happening, you know, in the United States for sure, where there's a lot of confusion about, well, where are we going? What does this mean? Are we having a closed economy or an open economy? What does an open economy mean? And there's a lot of confusion about that. You have some people running around, um, uh, leaders saying, we need to wear masks and we need to take these protective measures. And then you have other leaders saying, I'm not sure this is that big of a deal. You have some states in which people are saying, Look, I want you to stay home. I want to try to keep the restaurants closed or as, as, as empty as possible. And you have other states saying, get out there. Go eat every meal in a restaurant. Interact with everybody around you. And that confuses people. They don't know where the thing's been, where it's headed. But they need to see through that. They need to realize that anybody who thinks that they're going to be acting and behaving in the same way during 2021 that they did in 2019 is simply deluding themselves. We are in a new world that involves, we are still in a pandemic and it won't end for another year. And we're gonna to have to be able to adapt to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, that adaptation is a, a central part of a, of a nimble, successful company or business, right? right. And um, you see it all over the place. You see it online when you're trying to buy something. I went to the store yesterday and there's just a new process of buying stuff. There's a new way to buy stuff. There's a set of, of uh, sanitized carts and there's carts that are dirty. There is, uh, and, and like you said, there's people wearing masks, wearing full garb, and there's people walking in with nothing. And so I think that uh, as a business community, uh, a lot's gonna happen in the next six, nine, 12 months to give more clarity um, to where, where, we, where we are going, what the, the new normal is, right? The new, the new paradigm. Um, so how would you, how would you uh, look at the, the technology sector and in the new normal? And, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of, of talking points here. The technology sector as it pertains to education. The technology sector as it pertains to entertainment and the technology sector as it pertains to retail post-COVID, uh, during and post, actually. Yeah, right. Um, first of all, let me apologize for my allergies today. Um, the, we have to be adaptive. Um, there was a, a school of thought in business for a very long time, which was to understand what you're good at and keep maximizing what you're good at. What we've learned is that leads to obsolescence. You know, you could be excellent at taking care of horses or chewing horses or you know you could be excellent at, at, at mechanical uh, things and the world moves right and then what happens is you're excellent at it but the world moves and there's no very little need for that anymore so we have to recognize that it's important to see where is the world moving right where have we been and when we, we can do this by recognizing that there are true trends that have nothing to do with the pandemic, but have everything to do with how all of the technology and regulations and behaviors and, and resources that we have blend into these trends, then they are bigger than the pandemic. I mean, how we react is going to be based on the trends. The pandemic is an influence on the trends. So we have to, if we back up and say, wait a minute, so I could be guided not by the pandemic, but by the trends, we can start to gain control of better decision making. Right? Because what we want to do is we want to say, how do I adapt? What am I adapting to? Am I adapting to wearing face masks? Am I adapting to the pandemic? And what I would say is, no, let's step back, realize that the pandemic just went in peace. So you have this big trend, like mobility. That's a big trend. 
we've we've gone from a non-mobile world. Like I said, when I got out of business school, everybody had to go to the office every single day, right? Now we have technology. Everybody works mobile. We uh, used to say you had a job. Well, now today, 25% of the workforce is a gig workforce, right? They're in self-employed, independent, doing things, and it's moving faster and faster towards a gig workforce. So the way we interact in terms of getting our work done is this gig economy. Um, we used to say, like just like you and I and Manny, we got to be face to face. But now we live in an asynchronous world where we can use, you know, texting and we can use email and we can use all these different technologies uh, like podcasts so that I don't have to be there live. I don't, no matter, when I was young, we had to go to the television and watch the show when it was on. That was your only option, right? Now it's asynchronous. Watch the podcast whenever you want. And realize that people are looking for you to give some smarts to what you do, right? You need to add some artificial intelligence into what they're doing. You know, it's, it's, it's as simple as why would I want a, a new speaker in my house? Well, I don't need a speaker, but if I could train the speaker to know my grocery list or train the speaker to know my favorite radio programs or things like that, so it simplifies my life and eliminates me having to make a lot of little decisions that don't matter because I'm making the same way all the time, that little bit of artificial intelligence helps me out. Those are the mega trends, right? And so what we need to start to realize is how do I apply those to my business? How would I be more mobile? How do I use the gig economy more effectively? How do I take advantage of the fact that working asynchronously is far more productive? You know, forgetting to drop the phone and starting to say, how do I get things done asynchronously? And then how can I provide this additional intelligence to my customers and those in my network? If we focus on those things, we start to build a path forward because those things are going to happen during the pandemic and after the pandemic. That makes sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, one of the things that I was reminded of by one of the producers of the show, uh, Nicole, uh, she mentioned that in, I was messing to her about the, the previous show and, um, you know, you have a perspective that you've built your career upon over the past 15, 20 years. And, and my, my background has been more boots on the ground, um, you know, growing these startups from zero to, to something. And I think one of the things that holds a lot of people back is they might have these realizations like what we're discussing here of trends and megatrends, but they also lack some level of, of courage. They're, they're fearful. And I think that fear is, is one of these things that it, it can be powerful or, or it can be detrimental. If you understand, um, I, I was part of a, a, a group, uh, Vistage, of course, that's how you and I met. Uh, one of the speakers came in and talked about the difference between fear and excitement is breathing. That's the only difference. Physiologically, that's the only difference. And so I like to think about that when I, when I start to get fearful about something that is, is new, uh, I'm going to do something new. I'm, we're going to go in a new direction. We're going to launch a new product. And, uh, and so my, what I do is I, I try to breathe it through because <clears throat> that's a big you know, that's uh, something that changes my mindset to be able to um, be less fearful and actually push forward. Right. How do you think that, um, that entrepreneurs and somebody starting a business, would this be a good time to start a business or would they be better to wait until it's a little bit more stable in the, in the industry? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, seeking stability is, um, is a joke. Okay, we live in a chaotic world and it's not going to get any less chaotic. Uh, the technology that's out there is moving faster than we do in a lot of cases. So don't expect it to get more stable, as you said. That's not going to happen. Is now a good time to, to be an entrepreneur? 
it's always a good time to be an entrepreneur when you have an idea of how people could be more effective on trends. You can bring the trends to the people, then they're gonna want what you have to sell. So the timing has everything to do with, do you have the idea, you know, that to use these trends to help people be more productive? Well, there's some background things like what's cost of capital, how it's easy to get money and some things like that, that are important, but they're not nearly as important as does your idea fit on trends? So let's take, for example, you mentioned education, right? Let's say I'm interested in education, I'm an entrepreneur, I wanna do something, but I'm afraid it's now the right time or not the right time. And what I would say is, well, okay, let's, like, Roosevelt famously said, all we have to fear is fear itself. Let's, let's move beyond the fear. Let's start saying, is your, is your idea going to help people in the field of education be more mobile, right? So we take education as it's historically been. A lot of get, pe get young people into a room in front of an instructor who they sit quietly while somebody yells at them for a period of time, and then they go away. They do some work typically individually, somewhat together, they come back, they're quizzed, and then we start to see, well, how well are you doing according to the quiz, and what do we do for the next steps? That's the whole process. Well, are you, can you make that more mobile? It's the first thing. If you're making, because everybody wants to be more mobile, so how can you help that be more mobile? And we've seen this moving, we've seen, you know, uh, universities, for example, University of Phoenix making it, you know, remote education. Um, Am I letting people be asynchronous in terms of how they interact with this? Do I have to come to the classroom while the professor's there? Or can this be a more asynchronous methodology where people can get their education um, when they need it or when they have time for it, when they can fit it in? Um, am I utilizing gig economy? Or, you know, the old model was I have a school district and everybody works for the school district or everybody works for the university. And it was, it's actually an industrial model of employment. Well, can you use the gig economy where you have specialists that teach certain classes or specialists in the technology? And are you utilizing and taking advantage of the gig economy there? And are you able to say, for example, use artificial intelligence so that I know when Manny starts the class, this is Manny's level and Manny can move at this rate. Instead of assuming everybody starts at the same level and assuming everybody moves at the same rate, you can start saying, well, hey, I could do some things to determine Manny's start point, Manny's acceleration, and see where Manny's likely to end up over time. You know, that's a good, so, my, so these are the four big trends, right? If you're doing those things, what are you afraid of? That's what everybody wants, right? And if you say, well, I'm going to make education cheaper, I'm like, that's not exciting. I don't know, maybe it'll work, maybe one. At the end of the day, maybe your idea makes it cheaper. But what's really exciting is are you helping people do things they want? So go back to those trends. If you're, if you're implementing a new idea that's built on trends, you, can, you should be fearless about being an entrepreneur. It's like full steam ahead, let's go, because this is what people want. Yeah. Let me add a little bit to that as well. I mean, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And uh, a, a lot of people I speak with that are considering launching a business or maybe in the, in the initial steps of exploration of doing so, they, uh, one thing that they, they, they lack or they, uh, they don't plan for is the long road ahead. Um, I read a book uh, last year about, uh, called Endurance. It's about the exploration of Antarctica. And, you know, if they hadn't packed so much uh, rations and they hadn't lived off the land, they wouldn't have made it. And this is one thing I tell entrepreneurs is, you know, people that start something, they get going and they get a little bit of momentum, they hit a speed bump and then they just fizzle out. They just, uh, um, you know, they don't have the stamina to get them over that hump. And I think the most successful entrepreneurs that I know 
are ones that in that trough, in that valley, uh, they just press on and, uh, you know, fall 12 times, get up, you know, 13. Well, yeah, but that can seem a bit daunting. I think I would, you try to use a, a bit of a different analogy. I've been asked, you know, is business a marathon versus a sprint, for example, it's commonly said. And what I try to tell people is use the analogy of a race, of a relay. What, what really happens in starting a business is a series of sprints that over time becomes a much longer race. And so, and, and it's more like a triathlon type of a relay, in fact, where you have, you know, you, for a while you run, for a while you bicycle, for a while you do these different things. So you start looking at it in terms of, I don't have to win every sprint, but I do have to stay in the game. So if I'm going along and, I, and the first sprint goes well, good. And the sprint, second sprint, not so good. We'll maybe make some adjustments. Third sprint, going good again. Now the fourth sprint comes along and, oh, man, I, 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 I really hit a speed bump with that one. Okay, but you're not out of the race. Game's not over. It's time to say, okay, what's level what's five, step five? What are we going to do in the next piece of the relay, right? So if you can get that mindset going, that you don't have to win every time. You don't have to be the best every time. But what you have to do is you have to say, okay, what do I have to do now very well? This is where execution comes in. You know, you start saying, okay, what do I need to do next? What do, what do I need to make happen? So right now we're in a pandemic. What you have to say is, I understand what my customers want. I understand what they want to achieve. I understand the trends. Okay, how are you going to make that happen in the pandemic? Or how are you going to make them enjoy, you know, the, whatever it is that you do in, with the constrictions of this part of the race? Because right now for the next 9, 12 months, this is a sprint of its own kind of applying the, in this pandemic environment. I don't know how it will end or when it will end, but we will end up in a different place and then we'll have a different sprint, right? And so if you kind of stumble right now, I would just say, well, okay, sprint's not over. Get up, keep going, right? And if at the end of this sprint you say, I didn't do so well last year, the answer to that would be, what did you learn? We don't have to be evaluative. What did you learn? What would you do different? Now, how would you do that differently? And let's get ready for the next sprint. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in their success and learning. And uh, I, I tell my kids this, and it's kind of an odd thing to tell them. But if you really think about it, it makes sense. Fail a lot. Fail often. If they're not failing, they're not doing enough. They're not trying enough. And I think that uh, if we're uh, mindful and uh, intentional about learning from our failures, then uh, we can make a big go of, of life and really take full command of it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, do you have any, any, speaking of failures and learning, do you have any learning experiences from business that you might want to share with, with us where um, you maybe stumbled and fell and, and then were, was able to learn and, and make that next step in your career? I think probably the, the biggest thing that I, biggest mistake I made was that when I, I would try to emulate large organizations in my entrepreneurial life. So I'd say, well, okay, how does somebody who's been successful at this before? So instead of getting into consulting, how would the Boston Consulting Group or McKinsey, how would they do these things, right? And um, I, I stumbled more than once doing this because I was thinking they're big, they're successful. I want to emulate them. And 
that it took me probably 20 years to get to the point to realize that I'm never going to do whatever they did to get to that spot. I got to get to my own spot and to get to my own spot, I got to figure out, well, okay, where's the world going? And if I figure out where my spot's going to be, I might get there before my competition did. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it took me 20 years to figure that out. I <laughs> have to be very honest. I did a lot of stuff where I would say, oh, what are the, what are the leaders in the industry doing? What are the leaders in my community doing? And I, I obviously need to do what the leaders are doing, only to realize that, no, they're playing their game, and they're doing it their way, and they may or may not understand the trends. But if I sit down and say, can draw my own path forward, my odds of being successful become just enormously higher, enormously higher. And since I made that change about 30, 25, 20, 25 years ago, I've had a lot more success at things that I do. Yeah, that's a very powerful message. And I think um, a lot of people are, are given that false belief of, okay, let's, let's dissect Google. Let's dissect what took these companies to that next level. And I think there's a lot of, of, of value in learning how they got there but I think it's, it's a value that, that doesn't uh, come in the form of a map, a roadmap. Uh, and I think that's a, a potential pitfall for a lot of folks is they, especially with startups, right? This is kind of where I like to uh, sink my teeth into. People that have a new idea, they look at, okay, what, are, what is my competition doing? But not from a um, uh, market standpoint, but more from a how can I do what they do? So can we talk a little bit about competition and why it's important to know what they're doing? But, but give, give us your thoughts on that, please. Um, the most important competitor that you would pay attention to are people that are what I would say kind of on the fringe, people that are doing something new, something different, because they can teach you something. If, the, if there's a large competitor that has high market share and you know what they do, well, everybody knows what they do. Do you think you're going to out-execute them? I mean, that's a huge fallacy. If they've got all the resources to execute, they've got the army and they have to have a roadmap and they have to move the army. So if you say, well, how did they build their roadmap? I'm gonna build a roadmap. The realization is you don't have an army. You don't need the roadmap that they do. So what you have to do is start to think differently about this and say, well, my, my key advantage is my adaptability. You know, they have to move an army. Think of their, if, if the analogy is they're an army, what am I? I'm six guys on quad runners running around with machine guns or something, right? And, you know, I'm the special forces operating in a wholly different way. I've got the flexibility. Well, that becomes your advantage. Now then, it's less important what the roadmap is than the direction, you know? Am I headed in the right way? Because I'm going to be able to adapt and move my resources much more quickly than they can. So, and, and this is one of the kind of problems of getting an MBA, to be honest. You know, if you get a degree in business MBA, it teaches you all these skills that are actually very applicable in very large organizations. And they're not as applicable when you want to be an entrepreneur. A lot of the still skills would tell you, you know, like, well, go do this business plan and put up a financial plan. And, well, you can find a thousand reasons that you won't succeed when you do that kind of thing. And so you got to be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Yeah, and that's, that's actually very interesting that you, you bring that up with business plans. You know, I'm in the middle of, uh, of raising money for a, a new venture. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this new venture in, uh, in a thing that I'm going to be doing on, um, online. Um, some more like a vlog where I'll be talking about my learning and my growth in launching a, a new business. But there is a little bit of a, of a clash between the establishment 
Uh, a lot of these investors are, are used to things the way they were. And, you know, they might be successful in, uh, in real estate or in other industries and they're, they want to be an angel investor. And so they bring to the table these, these old modalities, these old ways of thinking, well, where's your 52 page business plan? And then you work with the, the more, um, uh, I guess the more modern sort of investors, the professional venture capital folks, and they're realizing that, that the business models, their business plans are dead, that they're, it's more of a, give me your, your, um, your pitch, give me your strategy, Let's look at the, let's do some due diligence on the team. And, uh, you know, I, I've always said, and I'm, sh I'm sure you'll agree that, uh, you know, idea, an idea is worth, is worth nothing unless you've got the execution behind it and the team behind it. Right. And so I see a lot of that in the industries of, that I'm running with raising money and, and building my team with, with Psyops here. Yeah. I, and it is true that uh, people, if you're talking to somebody about a new idea you have, and then they fall back saying, well, let me tell you what I learned in business. You're going to have a tough conversation. You just have to realize that's going to be difficult. You didn't have their experiences. You don't have their background, whatever industry they were in. You, you don't have that. And so if, if your job becomes to move them off of what they know to something they don't know, that's a big hill. And you need to kind of sit back and say, am I, am I in the right place? Am I talking to the right person? Am I, you know, am I trying to do this the right way? Because really what you have to have is somebody, when, when you start the conversation, says, well, I'm very interested in understanding how this would become very successful, right? Which you call the pitch. How would it become successful? What are the conditions of success? What are the market conditions, the trend conditions? Uh, you know, what, what would be the thing that would make this very successful? And then maybe a couple of questions around, well, you know, if you really missed the boat, what did you miss? What would be the mega mistake that you would make, right? Now, that's a very fruitful conversation that working with that person over time would probably continue to be a fruitful conversation, right? But don't think that your job in a, as an entrepreneur is to educate investors off of their base, <laughs> because they're very unlikely to do that. If they haven't gotten off that base, then you probably need to find somebody else to be working with. Exactly. Well, um, as we start to wrap up here, I, I want to kind of, I want to do a, a, a deep dive next time uh, on the idea, the pure form of disruptive innovation. And I want to apply that to, uh, as you call it, FANG, right? Yeah. The, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, and I, I want to do a kind of a real point of deep dive on that. And, you know, the, the thing what we're doing here this summer is, uh, you know, releasing our course, our first course. And uh, I really want to get our, our viewers and listeners thinking about how to get out of that box and, and think, right? So can you, can you wrap up here this segment on giving us a flavor of what that means to get out of the box rather than, uh, you know, the, the classical motto is, you know, think, think out of the box. I want to loop back to how I started this conversation. When I was in Chicago and somebody said, Adam, we want you to go to Paris and do this analysis and work with these clients. I was inside the box. I had come out of business school. I was working at BCG. I was in Chicago. That was my box and I knew how to do things. And I could sit there and envision what I was going to do going forward, right? I walk off the plane in Paris. I go to my hotel at 6 o'clock in the morning. Of course, they don't have a room for me. I've got to figure out how to get some coffee and start my day. And I start realizing <laughs> I'm out of the box. 
it's now it's time to think, okay? Now I gotta think now. I can't sit there and try to just work in, in the way I've always done things or try to figure out how to get it back to the way I always did. Now it's really, really time to think. And as I did that, I started to realize that some of the models that I had worked with in the United States had to be modified because the way they did consumer products and advertising and retail was different in Europe, okay? So I had to, but it, I couldn't have ever done as good a job trying to figure out better ways that those competitors could work if I had to stay in Chicago. I had to get outside my box, get into this white space environment where like, wow, I'm a bit lost, I gotta figure this out here, and then adapt to it. So that's getting outside the box, then think. That's an awesome analogy, Adam. Thank you for your time. We're looking forward to uh, next week talking about uh, the classical uh, theory uh, as applied to real life of disruptive innovation. Uh, and looking at the uh, the Fang companies, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Um, thanks for the listeners and the viewers, and we'll see you next week. Adam, have a great week. Stay cool. Thanks. <laughs>